One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello, Koshi here. Before we get into this episode of the call, I've got a favor to ask. The bigger the Ausbiz audience, the more we can invest in great content and keep providing quality investment ideas to you for free. If you could just take a minute of your time to leave a review of the call in the Apple Podcast app, it'll help keep our tribe growing. And of course, don't forget to catch up with all the best interviews each day at ausbiz.com.au. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the call. Welcome to the program. This is The Call, 10 companies picked by you, our audience, and I've got two expert guests to take us through them all in one hour. It is the 1st of April. Great to be here with you. I'm Nadine Blaney. Let's introduce my guests, shall we? In studio with me, I've got Rudy Philippic van Dyke. He's joining us from FN Arena. Welcome, Rudy. Nice to see you. It is my pleasure. And Claude Walker. He's from A Rich Life, and he's joining us via Skype. Hey, Claude, how's the day so far? Looking forward to the long weekend? Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's lovely weather here, so thank you for having me. Yeah, great to have you guys along. I know we're going to have a good show. Why don't we get right to it then? Today's stock of the day is Urbanize. In fact, I just noticed that its uh, share price is on a tear today. Uh, that is up 7% at this stage of the game. I'll timestamp it, 12 o'clock on Thursday afternoon. It has secured a three-year agreement with a Dubai-based property developer to deliver a facilities management and strata solution. So urbanize.com, the stock of the day, UBN is the ticker code. Claude, I will start with you. I spoke with the CEO, Sir Bejane, uh, toward the end of February. And at that time, he said that they were investing more in sales and marketing because they wanted to get more of these contracts in the Middle East. So it certainly seems as if the company gets a tick for execution. Yeah, well, absolutely. Uh, Urbanize is actually a really wonderful, repeatable story of how you can make money in small caps. Um, so what happened for those people who've read my coverage of Urbanize over the years, it wasn't being run well, basically. It was making massive losses. Um, and the share price dropped from like over $1.50 to about $0.04 cents if we look at that really long-term chart. If I don't know if we've got it. But basically um, what happened then was probably a little over a year ago, maybe even two years ago now, I started writing about this and, and I was buying shares. And, and the key thing that actually caused me to buy shares was that you had some board change, but most importantly, the new CEO came in and he was buying share. There we go. So um, the new CEO came in um, when it was about a four cent, three cent share price, right? Like, and he bought shares and he had a new plan, which was basically to um, continue to try to grow recurring revenue whilst also being careful not to waste the company's money. And he was taking the path um, of getting to cash flow break even, which is really powerful, of course, because at that point, um, the company uh, can essentially, one would hope, fund its own growth and you don't have that constant dilution that weighs on the share price. Now, he actually uh, got pretty close to taking it to cash flow break even. We've seen good revenue growth and that's what's driven the recovery from about four cents to over eight cents in the last couple of years. And, and that's been good to see. Uh, now, on the other hand, 
it's more taking um, an approach now where they're saying, actually, we're going to go back into cash flow negative. They've raised some capital. Now they're going to spend that money to try to grow revenue as fast as they can. Look, I think that's a riskier strategy. And I've actually taken some profits at around current prices as a result. But I still hold shares because basically, you know, uh, the, the management team has executed so far. And this contract announcement today is not a small contract for them. Like that should ensure that their facilities management, which is the area they're going to try and grow now, that this should ensure that we do see at least some growth from that that segment. And, you know, if, if they can really grow that one fast, then in a year or two, we could be talking about this as a hot tech stock and it could have a match higher multiple. So for that reason, that's why I still hold shares today. And I have to admit today's news is a positive. So would you be buying today? Uh, if I was if I was like a really high risk speculator speculator, I would consider a small position today. But but overall, no. For me, the time you want to buy these companies is is really just at the very beginning of the of the shift of the inflection point. And for me, that was a couple of years ago. Now we've already seen a share price gain of over a hundred percent since the bottoms. We've seen some substantial holders who have been long term holders and who helped capitalize it. They've started to take profits as well. So overall, I would say there are better opportunities out there. For me right now, though, it's just like I've got my free ticket to dance and I'm going to hold on and see what they can do. And yeah, it's a risky one, but um, uh, I I don't see why not to just stay with the story. So yeah, maybe this is a speculative buy, but yeah, for me, it's just a small position now. I, I put it in a speculative cast. Okay. And uh, the company has said that it's very comfortable betting the farm on AI. It has almost no customer churn. Why Why wouldn't Urbanize.com potentially be a big Australian tech success story a few mm. years down the road? Well, one of the reasons why it's not necessarily the case is because it has a very checkered past. And uh, I, th I think Claude, I mean, I, I, could, I, might as well Claude, I might as well summarize the main points from Claude because I think he said it all. Very checkered past, uh, very dilutive for shareholders in the past. Um, I can add, they, Claude can correct me, um, I think they're, they're consolidating their shares 15 to 1. Um, 15 to 1 is not done by companies that have not had a dilutive past, right? Because the share price hasn't gone up. Right? Uh, new management, I think uh, Claude is hitting the hammer on the, the nail on, on the head. Um, Sometimes when new management team comes in, it can make a big difference, but he's also I implying, that, and I agree with that, that the easy gains might be made here. Um, another observation, which maybe is a little bit less left field here, is that they categorize this contract and they add it to their annual recurring revenue, but it's a three-year contract. Um, in my view, that's a little bit dangerous to put that on your annual recurring revenue because you don't know what's happening in year four if they don't renew the contract. So I think for investors, I'm not, I'm not denying that that's not a chance they do it, but I think it's very, for investors, they should pay attention to what companies categorize as recurring revenue. I mean, you have a three-year contract. I personally would not regard that as, unless it becomes a larger contract. Maybe in three years' time, they make another five or ten years from it. At this point in time, I think that's dangerous. So I think investors should pay attention to the, to the detail. Because a company says we have annual recurring revenue, it doesn't mean it actually is annually recurring for the longer term. Anyway, long story short, I agree with uh, uh, Claude's uh, labeling. It's, it's still high risk. It hasn't done much in the past, unless you owned it at the right time. Uh, this may well be one of those times or not. We don't know. It's a small cap stock. It's name. 
some CEOs have this as a launch, uh, and this is the whole capitalization of the company at this point in time. Uh, you probably have to be someone like Claude who really watches them very closely what they do. Uh, for me, it's too small, it's too risky. Um, if the market sells off tomorrow, this one halves, while other stocks only fall by, by, by seven, eight, nine percent. Um, so I would say it's, a, it's, a, it's only a speculative buy. It's nothing else here. That is the stock of the day, urbanize.com. Uh, let's get on to our first company that's been nominated by you, our audience. This one is coming from Jonathan. A little bit of context. Jonathan saying he thinks it's an awesome company, but it's had some pretty unfortunate events. Recovering from the downtrend, shutdown affecting profits. Uh, it's motor vehicle smash repair business in Australia. And he's pointing to the fact, Jonathan, thanks for writing in, that you know, in this environment, we've seen more people driving than taking public transport, more driving locally, I suppose, because we're not hitting the skies to get overseas. So AMA Group, I'll start with you, Rudy. Uh, would you like to invest in the smash repair business, keeping in mind that it also distributes some of the automotive accessories here in Australia and New Zealand? Um, here, here's the point. You, you have, to, apart from what Jonathan mentions you have to take into consideration that specific part of the industry and and the specific company what it actually does this company is actually an acquisition driven business model so they are listed and they they are continuously gobbling up smaller players which um, because they are high, more highly valued on the share market than unlisted companies are worth and that's a very easy business model to generate profit from as long as that model works. It means that your share price has to remain high. Um, you can all see from any chart you pop up now, its share price is not high. <laughs> so that model is, is coming unstuck at the moment. Um, my understanding also is, is that the other element is, is that they actually are suffering from having um, qualified staff. Um, no immigration in Australia. Apparently we don't have enough qualified uh, workers the type that they are looking for. And that obviously is, is somehow going to have a limit on their growth. Um, plus, um, because I do follow this company, not, not very closely, but, but um, plus they've had some um, <coughs> internal problems in recent years. Um, that's putting it mildly. Long story short, I think it's way too easy to say, because we're all driving more cars or we're buying more cars, this is, this is, a, this is a buy. I would treat this company, despite the fact that the share price is, is and admittedly the share price is really looking cheap here. Mm -hmm. I don't think that, 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 that turnaround is necessarily coming tomorrow, so I would still treat it with, with caution, because as I always tend to say, there's no natural limit to bad news that can come out of a company. And the, the last profit warning is not necessarily being delivered here. And as, as all every veteran will tell you, a profit warning is never priced in. Mm, yeah, well. No matter how cheap the price. Yeah, it uh, goes against the grain, doesn't it? Claude, UBS says that the valuation of this company is quite compelling. A lot of that is dependent on what comes in the second half, of course, I suppose, when the rubber hits the road in terms of, you know, life getting back to normal, vaccine rollout and the rest of it. And I would presume that margins are a constant battle in the business of this type. Yes, okay. So, well, you've absolutely hit uh, one of the key points here. So, a bit of um, background. So I agree with, you know, essentially what Rudy said, but I can add a little bit of info for uh, the viewer that asked. So this is actually one that I followed years ago. It was my first ever recommendation when I um, 
joined a, a small cap service, you know, five, six years ago now. And um, I ultimately made the sell call on that, you know, after it was up 100, 200%, I can't remember. And the reason for that is that this was never a long-term story. There's a, obviously for me, there's a type of business that I make a long-term shareholding. This is a software business, high margins or healthcare business, sticky demand. You just, you need to have some reason that you can get extra profits. Well, guess what? With AMA Group, their biggest, most important um, customers are like insurer groups who are even bigger companies who have a lot of bargaining power. And the reason that the insurers have continued to give more and more business over, I'm talking a decade now, not just one year, over a decade to AMA Group is because a big consolidated group like AMA Group that has good operations can keep costs down for the insurer. But that means there's constant margin pressure on AMA Group. These guys win by being the cheapest, right? So they are buying other smaller panel beaters and that sort of thing. Um to try and get costs down for the big insurers. And the big insurers always want to see that. And the big insurers want to get some value out of that. Now, there was a particular fellow who actually his, um, years ago in 2007, he his thing got bought into AMA Group, right? And then the GFC came. AMA Group crashed down to 10 cents a share or something like that. He bought a bunch of shares, become the CEO. This is Ray Malone. And for many years, he just did a great job. He had been a panel leader. He started a panel leader. He just did a great job building this company. And he left in September 2019. And guess what? The absolute high of the share price was July 2019. So if you ask me, this extremely important former leader, him leaving was the sell signal. And I took it off my watch list after that because I thought, no, thank you. Um, so... Look, this could be one to buy eventually, but that story of consolidation, that roll-up story, that has happened now. It already has much bigger um, revenues, and I think that the fact that its share price now is probably the same as where it is lower than it was five years ago shows you know, how difficult this business is. Yes, I love the way that the viewer is thinking about, oh, what could I buy that's going to recover in the next couple of years? And I think that's smart, and I think on one level that could work, but my caution would be that ultimately I think you're in a business where you probably need to have like a multi-year entry and exit strategy. And I just don't see that set up with AMA Group anymore. That, that was something that was available 10 years ago, but not so much now in my view. That's AMA. I'm wondering then, Claude, the next company on our list is Macmillan Shakespeare from James. Does Macmillan Shakespeare have a little bit of that reopening, that normalization thematic behind it now? Yeah, well, so I reckon this would be a better reopening play if you want to do it. I mean, again, though, if we look at that long-term share price of Macmillan Shakespeare, I could swear it was around $10 five, six, seven years ago as well. Um, and so, you know, what these guys do is I think, you know, it's novated leasing and, and that um, relies on uh, the fringe benefits tax system that we currently have. Now, a, f a fair few years ago, I don't know if we have a 10-year charter something, but a fair few years ago, this um, was flying even higher than it is today. And then the Rudd or the would-be Rudd government, or I think it was it, it was the Labor was Party, the basically. Yeah, the yeah, last, it was the the last month of the last yeah. government, yes. Yeah, so they basically said, they took to an election, oh, yeah, we're going to get rid of this novated leasing. And Macmillan Shakespeare, like, just crashed um, on the thought of it. And actually, ironically, that, that, that government, like, it didn't ever happen, so it recovered. Mm -hmm. But that's why these businesses tend to trade at a fairly low PE multiple. And look, honestly, 
I think it's uh, if you are looking for low PE stocks, these ones and, and like um, Smart Group would probably be my preferred one. They're actually an interesting play because we at least we can answer the question sort of why is this cheap? Well, this is cheap because there's that threat that one day their business model might be dealt a massive blow by tax reform. And one could argue that probably the Labor Party is not going to try that again in the near term, um, given that they talked about it a while ago and it didn't happen. So if you want to take the other side of that bet, that, that, that's a reasonable risk to take. Obviously not one for me. I try to avoid these um, fat tail sort of risks that just wreck your investment like that. I like companies that can control their own fate more. But having said that, yeah, the chances of doing okay in this are decent. Um, my, my only thing was they're having board changes, and I think there was some director selling recently. So for that reason, I'd probably, I'd probably go with Smart Group over Macmillan Shakespeare. And certainly when I have looked at investing in this sector, I have lent towards Smart Group. But still, I, I think this one's decent. But yeah, I will get a, a happy hold for me if people are happy with that risk, but not okay. one I'll buy myself. Happy old, are you agreeing? Boring television today, boring I television. I know, it's we such can't, we can't, dis- we can't agree on everything, Claude, come on. <laughs> but I'm, I'm, I'm going to take a little bit of, of a, a slightly different angle, which it's good because Claude has done all the, all the preparation yeah, yeah. work. I gave a presentation uh, this week and I spoke to investors about how they should change their strategy if they're looking for income from the share market. Mm-hmm. And they should not necessarily aim for a six or 7% stock in the share market and then having the risk that that dividend is not sustainable. The, this, the, the, stru- the superior in, in investment strategy is you buy a stock and they increase their dividends over time. I mean, not only does that guarantee that you stay ahead of inflation, it pretty much also guarantees that your share price will be higher, which is different from a, a stock that only promises you 16 cents year in, year out. Yeah, so you want the growth and and the dividend. And they can grow their dividend when they're increasing business. Exactly. So Macmillan Shakespeare is probably at a point where you could argue that is an ideal starting point for that strategy now. Because the share price, as you will see if you you show the chart, the share price has absolutely been clobbered. And it comes now at a a level where the the implied dividend yield is between 5.5 or 6%, something along those lines, depending on where you focus on, that is quite a high starting point. And if you believe that that sector is, 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 is going to open up again because the economy is going to normalize next year, year after, and stuff like that. So that should work, that, that those dividends should increase, and you have, a, you have an ideal starting point. Having said so, I, I can confirm, uh, in the dying days of the Gillard government when Rod took over, that was the first thing he did, and he actually killed that industry. At that point in time, it was only Macmillan Shakespeare mm-hmm. was listed. And at that time, it was actually one of my favorite stocks in the market. And then I think we all learned that the government can just change things. Pull the rug out. Even, even if you don't expect it. Yeah. Right? Having said so, I, um, I do agree with, um, uh, with Claude. I think if you want to invest in that sector, Smart Group would be, would be the way to go. Got it. Guys, number three on the list is ProMedicist coming to us from Sabir, saying the company had material wins in COVID. Some say this is one of the best ASX growth shares, close to an all-time high, however, and I think that's the thing. Therein lies the rub. He's asking, I purchased the share at the low $20 mark last year. Is it time to take some profit or hold it for the long term? Claude, I've got to come to you on ProMedicus first, <laughs> don't I? Yeah, oh, well, I, thank you. But yeah, like, so I, this is such an easier question when the share price was like $25 <laughs> when we last talked about it. But um yeah, so I think that the last time we chatted about this on the call, it was about $25 and I was bu- I had bought around that level and it was a buyer. 
now I'm no longer buyer and I'm a seller, but only a tiny, tiny, tiny bit. So if, to me, if somebody actually had the, the good sense to buy this during the sell-off below $20, I would say congratulations. Like that is, it's hard to get a good, a really top quality, the best company on the ASX at a good price. It just doesn't often trade at an attractive price. It always trades at a high multiple because basically this is a company that has the biggest and best hospitals as um, their customers overseas. This is because they control the, you know, the viewing of radiology scans for all of the main academic hospitals in the US. I would struggle to find a company better placed to be part of what I suspect will be one of the first huge applications of AI, which is in radiology imaging. So they can do, so they are building a platform specifically so that, um, you know, academic experts and doctors can try and help, you know, build algorithms to improve mm-hmm. the efficiency of radiologies. It's just a really exciting potential. The problem is now we're trading with that potential. So the, the market is starting to see that potential now. So if you think that that's just a whole bunch of hot air, then I would say like it's, it's, it's definitely overvalued. Me personally, this is still my number one largest holding because I just I have a massive bias towards high quality software businesses and I just can't find a higher quality software business on the ASX and ProMedicus. Um, we've now absorbed the, the sell down from the, the founders. One thing to be aware of, maybe Rudy can talk about this, is there are some very, very bullish broker forecasts that certainly come in above my valuations. Um, yeah, so as it is for me, I think I, I probably have to give it a, a hold, to, a hold. but just with the full disclosure that I did take a little bit of profits, but it, it's over a 15% position for me. So that's more just portfolio rebalancing. If it's a small position, I'd say now's a good time to hold. And, and then if it drops back down to that $20, $25 level, then I'll, I'll definitely be buying again. Yeah, good one. Okay, thanks, Claude. Rudy, uh, yeah, it, it uh, is a, a darling. Well, welcome, welcome to the fan club. Yeah. I, mean, I have to correct. I have to correct Claude. One. Claude, come on, twenty-five dollars. It's not going to get to twenty-five dollars. <laughs> if it's twenty-five dollars, I'll be willing. I'll be willing to, to allocate half my portfolio there. Right? Um, may, maybe the best. May, maybe maybe a few things to point out. Yeah, this this company uh, shares a lot of characteristics with a company like CSL. Yeah. And this is why brokers are pretty confident in in making bullish forecasts because if they when they announce a new contract there is a runway and it always impacts on the following year. So you can, it's sort of, a, it's sort of easy forecasting. How many contacts have they forecast, uh, have they achieved this year? So you can adjust your forecast for the year after and the year after, that's how it works. So it's, it's a relatively easy forecastable company with the exception of course that you don't know when the next contract will be announced. And these guys are pretty good at, announce, at announcing new contracts. They, have a very high strike rate in that industry. So I, I agree with the label, one of the best growth companies on the ASX. The downside of that is it's almost never cheap. So maybe the best way to answer this is, uh, is uh, in the way what I've done, uh, because just like Claude, I'm a shareholder as well, and I'm part of the fan club as well. And listen, above uh, where it was recently and where it is now, I halved my, 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 my holding, but I am, because you can confidently say this is a long-term growth story. This is this is not going to end in six months, not even next year. So this has a lot of growth to do. Mm-hmm. So you make that decision on a relatively short-term basis that, 
occasionally if the market conks out or there's a sell-off or whatever it might go to the mid-30s or something i mean and then you jump back in yeah. but there's also an easier way i mean you just stay on board and you don't care for the time being because so if you bought at in the low 20s on this day you would not be looking to sell well again it I, I know portfolio it, construction it, it, exactly it depends yeah. whether he has a he whether he wants to insert a shorter term yes view in there but long term this is still this stock is still going going to go much mm -hmm. higher so it depends whether you should care about okay. what happens potentially I'll phrase it another way, and this is only for viewers who are not already in Prometicus. Yes. Would you buy at today's levels, $45 and something, I think I saw on screen? See, I would, I would wait until we see some weakness, and that is well possible given the volatility yes. in the markets. Yes. And I would personally, because what you want to avoid is that you buy to a good company, and then, oh, it, it goes down by 5%, and, you, and you're sitting on your mental loss. Or maybe the other strategy is you, you give it a little bit of allocation and you wait until what happens next. And at least you are on board. Yes. Because if they do announce a new contract, it's not going to go lower. Yeah. Claude, I saw you on screen there as well. Just to be clear for those not invested in ProMedicus, would you be comfortable adding a small position at these levels? If you were yeah, I mean, if I, yeah. if I somehow like just found myself not having ProMedicus shares in my portfolio, which has <laughs> not happened to me since 2014. <laughs> I would I would probably move to rectify that even just with a small position just so that I knew like I've got a little bit of shares if I if it goes down to $30 or $28 or something like that I will notice it and then I will remember to buy uh to buy yeah. then um yeah that I okay. I mean I do that all the time it's not always the smartest thing to do but it's a bit of a psychological trick I do on myself yeah, well, mind games, you know, we all have them. And, uh, yeah. yeah, some of us are just not going to announce them publicly. Anyways, $28. Where gets, where gets you those numbers from? Um, okay, let's get on to stock number four. This is for David. This is OneView Healthcare. O-N-E is the ticker code. He says, I've just taken a small position. Hmm. I like the business model. It's a global company with recurring revenue. It uh, basically is a cloud-based platform for healthcare providers. I might start with this one for you, Rudy, do you know much about the company? Do you I like it? I know a little bit about them, um, and I think this this touches upon a different different thematic now. Um, company sponsored research. Yep. Um, I, I've been a, a critic of it in, I mean, probably about a decade ago when I arrived in Australia. I think today we have to acknowledge it's here to stay. So, just to clarify for those watching that are not familiar with the theme that you've just touched upon, so this is a company, OneView, that has become tied up with a group called Stocks Digital, which has taken an equity stake in the company yes. in return for coverage. Coverage, which can be phrased as research because OneView was not covered by the major brokers that we often reference. Mm -hmm. It can also be categorized as a type of sales and marketing. Yes, well, for the company, it is. Um, and it's not it's not the only way of doing it. There are actually a few groups now in Australia active that do company-sponsored research, right? There's intrinsically nothing wrong with it, except that you will, n for logical reasons, you will never find a sell rating amongst a company-sponsored uh, research. Right? They will never say sell. I mean, that's... You, you know, kind of part of the deal, you right? You don't bite the hand that feeds you, yeah. exactly. Or that, I mean, so... What, what you get with these small, in particular when they're, when they're small, they're trading on a few cents, it can make a big impact when those reports come out. Now, now history tells you if that's the only reason why the share price jumps up, then it will eventually come down again. 
Yeah. There has to be more substance to it. So is there some substance so to one That's very healthcare? difficult to, to judge at this point in time because we're now in a period when, when uh, the, the stock has been promoted quite, quite heavily uh, and that's still ongoing. Um, from, from a short memory, I think it has tripled, I think, in share price by now. Yes. Something along those lines. So we yet have to see whether that is whether that's, that's going to stick around. Yeah. I mean, there will probably be a lot of hot money in there. People have seen the, the, the research and think like, oh yeah, like, like, like the, like the caller will say, oh yeah, put some money in there. Right? Yeah. It doesn't mean anything. Right? It doesn't mean anything for the longer term. So I personally, given the context, um, I, would, I would treat it with caution. Um, it doesn't mean the share price won't go up in, in the future or that the company will not uh -huh. have uh, good announcements or anything like that. But I do notice that um, personally, I'm, I'm a little bit ambivalent to, to with a company that's so interested in, in its share price, should be interested in the business. But I do understand where it comes from. We all have options and we all want to see a share price up if we, if we lead a company and all of that. But yeah. uh, so I, in general, I would say treat with caution. Okay, Claude, just a thought on that uh, coverage aspect of this story. What's the difference between being promoted by an independent research house that will benefit from your share price going up and, you know, pump and dump for Reddit traders or any other form? Yeah, so, I mean, uh, basically what this is, it's true that company-sponsored research has historically, like, been around, but usually that takes the form of a company, like, basically paying someone who has reached to, like, get their, get their research out. This is a little bit different because what happens was that the company that, so what happens is these people, the S3 consortium, they have built a business that has heaps and heaps of reach. It has like uh, advertising de deals with a lot of other publications. And um, what it does is it took a big position in OneView. So it took OneView shares as well as payment, basically, and also made an investment with its own money. So that would be the, the equivalent. And then what it did is it used its network to basically put out this like positive research on the company. There was no fundamental news that, that sort of impacted the company here. And the share price went from $0.08 cents to, I think, as, as high as $0.40. Cents. Um, and, you know, it's just a numbers game. Like, if you email 500,000 people, like, 20 excited emails from seven different sources about how great a company is, then that will capture whatever percentage of that number are the people that just will just buy something that they that they got told about mm -hmm. you will capture those people and you can push the share price up and that's what happened and, and i could make a lot of money if if i wanted to do this i could take you know positions in companies and just ramp them i'm not i'm not going to do that um but that's the difference is it, it's not just paying it's not just the company paying for coverage it's somebody who's a financial advisor taking a position in the company and then telling everyone how good it is yeah. uh, that's a little bit different um, in terms so of OneView itself... So, yeah, I was going to say fundamentally then. I mean, if you put all of that to one side, it is a business. It has a business. What do you make of the business? Yeah. So OneView itself actually is one that I've followed ever since it listed years ago because it is in that... It is, it's not really... Uh, it's sort of like a hardware business, but it's in healthcare. Um, it, the, it's a bit promotional to call it this sort of cloud platform or whatever. You know, these... I'm not quite sure that the shareholders really understand the va like what value add there is in in one view. Like this isn't, in my view, like key hospital systems that that they're selling, and it's certainly an area that has plenty of competition. Like this is not a breakthrough in treatment that I can see. It might be like incrementally better, but if their thing is so good, then I think you've really got to ask why 
was their revenue 13 million Australian dollars in 2016 and um, 11 million dollars in and this is Australian dollars I'm using 11 million dollars in um, 2020 right that's like gone backwards over five years um, it seems like this sort of world of amazing cognitive dissonance now like people are su super like um, excited about some growth story that's been whipped up like last year uh, look at last year's revenues to this year this year's revenues like um th this is not some key uh thing that's just been growing and going up and up and up like it was this the revenue story was um over the last five years was 13 million 9.7 13.3 11.3 and 11.26 that's in aud mm -hmm. and their losses their losses um were uh, $14.6 million loss, $23.4 million loss, $39.8 million loss, $32.9 million loss, $27 million loss, and almost a $15 million loss. That's like a hundred, almost $150 million in losses. Can you imagine what some other people might have been able to build with $150 million? Like, you spend $150 million of five years, and you're bringing in $11 million each year, and you still don't make a profit on it. Like, there is something is not great about that picture but you know i think that this is a promotion that's aimed at people that don't know how to calculate market capitalization basically because if you just look at their claimed arr converted to aud um is 7.8 million well now after their massive share price promotion the um company is trading on 19 times recurring revenue well i would challenge people that are excited about the business model of one view to go and look at what other businesses that they could buy for 19 times recurring revenue and see if they're excited about them. Because I could find a very, very long list of better businesses that are profitable and pay dividends and have many years of growth trading for less than 19 times recurring revenue. 19 times, you're not getting a bargain here. You're coming in after a 350% gain in a couple of weeks, okay? Yeah. Like, if people are going to invest like that, that's fine. They're not prospective long-term clients for anyone because they're going to lose their money eventually. Even if they don't lose it on this, they'll lose it eventually. They'll be out of the game. Well, David, you did ask, and that's the take on one view from the guys. Uh, listen, we're going to have to do this one just a little bit quicker, but it's a company that we're all very familiar with, QBE Insurance. Uh, this one is sent to us by Cindy. So, Rudy, net exposure to the floods, QBE updating the market this week, I think, 125 yeah. million U.S., which is not a massive number. We're talking about the flooding in New South Wales. And, in fact, QBE has reduced its exposure to flooding quite significantly over the past few years. But it's the insurers, isn't it? Yes, it is. It is a little bit, of, I have to say, it is a little bit of a, of a different animal than Suncorp and AIG on the stock exchange. But it's still an insurer's business. And um, let's, let's, it, in short, uh, it, has, it hasn't performed well for shareholders. And that's putting it mildly. Um, I remember QBE had many, much higher share prices. Um, I remember when everyone put a buy on it at ten dollars, and still not not better. Well, maybe now is now oh, very close, but yeah. yeah, it's been it has been quite a disaster. Another acquisition-driven business model that mm -hmm. at some stage really got unstuck and then generated year after year. Well, and then they had to offload a lot of those well, acquisitions. Exactly, you know, right? you retreat on exactly. They didn't, they didn't at some stage didn't even know exactly what what liabilities there were in the business. Um, having said so. Um, um, and this is part of the stuff that we do at Afan Arena. There are some sector analysts who believe that the, that the margins in the sector are bottoming out, which basically means if you take a view of at least 12 months, you should do well here or better. But obviously, the obvious risk that keeps on hanging over the sector is weather-related mayhem. And um, it used to be that 
that we, as an investor community, we treated that as a one-off. It happens every once in a while. It, it tends to happen every year now, right? Yeah. If it's not floods, it's, well. it's, it's fires, it's hail, it's, uh, you, na you name it, right? Uh, yeah, so this is not a buy for you. No. No. And Claude, that's the other thing. You know, you've got to overlay all of these companies with, you know, real structural risks associated with climate change, correct? Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, this QBE has been like a clear avoid, same as AIG, clear avoid for me um, for so many reasons for so many years. Um, I think it was just in the AFR today, I was reading an article that was actually saying how one of the things that um, making insurance companies struggle is that it's much harder to model risk in a changing climate. Um, that has been obvious for many years, but when I brought that up 10 years ago, um, people just laughed, like people just laughed at me and say, basically, oh, you know, you're a climate alarmist or whatever. Like this is definitely going to make it harder for people to model risk. Um, they look at all the argument about just the science, even between people who are legitimately engaging with the science. These guys have got to grapple with a, a more difficult business. On top of that, what we've had is, you know, the long-term shift towards lower rates, whilst accepting they might be going up a little bit now in the short term. You know, that hasn't played into the advantage for, for insurers either. So, you know, overall, basically... I would avoid it. I would avoid large insurers, and and there's probably you know bigger problems for the Australian economy, and just society. We need insurers, and I and I hope that they stick around. But as things become too difficult to insure against, like say fire insurance or whatever, you keep on putting up the cost of fire insurance in, off of people's holiday mm -hmm. houses. Eventually, they just say, "Oh, fine. I'm just going to risk my house burning down and rebuild it every however many years that happens, rather than pay insurance." Mm -hmm. So. It, it can really unwind for all insurers that are doing this kind of stuff, and, and that's why it's an avoid for me. Maybe there's short-term opportunities, but it's yeah, it's pennies in front of a steamroller for, to my mind. All right, Cindy, that is the answer on QBE for you. We've reached the halfway mark. Let's check in on the portfolio we've been tracking. Since July 1st last year, both of the gentlemen here today have had some influence on this portfolio. And, of course, huge thanks to our partner, NABTRADE. All of the companies that get a two thumbs up from our expert guests or a buy from both of them have, we've been putting in. And uh, over the week, we're down by about one, just over 1%. On the month, though, we're up by three, one and three quarters of a percent. And year to date, up by 23.6%. Uh, just a bit of a sum up as to the companies that we've been talking about so far. far. The stock of the day is urbanized. This is a bit of a risky, specky buy on a pullback for Claude Walker. He thinks that the management has executed strategy well. It could become could become a tech darling in a number of years, but uh, Rudy does not agree. Politely disagrees. Too risky. Checkered past. Been very dilutive in the past. Have the easy gains already been made for management? So that's a no. That's not going in the portfolio. Urbanized.com. AMA Group. This is not a buy for Claude Walker. It was his first ever recommendation as a small cap analyst, but he was also on the sell side 
He just looks to margin pressure and the roll-up story has already happened. Rudy agrees the acquisition model has been played out. The thesis is just too easy. I mean, it could be viewed as a turnaround story, but he would be very cautious around it. Macmillan Shakespeare Group, it's a no for Claude. Nothing's happening. It's all about regulatory threat. Rudy remembers well what happened in the dying days of the first Rudd government. And yeah, that regula regulatory threat is just never going away. Now, he says you could look at it as potentially a play on an increased dividend yield in time as the story emerges but again there's just always that overhang which makes it too difficult for him to invest in even though i believe you were at one stage of the game he liked it way back in the day regardless pro medicus so to answer sabir's question should he sell after getting in at the low 20s basically the answer is no obviously you need your own financial advice because it depends on your weighting in your portfolio but if you're in it, in Claude and Rudy's view, you're in it to win it. And I asked a follow-up question, if you're not in it, should you be buying even at these levels? And the answer pretty much is great to get it on a pullback, a day where we start to see tech names coming off, but really just start building an allocation to a company that they believe is a real, real winner in the Australian market for the future. That takes us to OneView Healthcare. o &E is a ticker code. David, both of these guys say don't go near this one. Uh, Rudy was a little more circumstant, but he says it's, it's just cautious. You have to understand the context, understand that this is a promoted company, and so it makes it very difficult to judge. Uh, Claude uh, agrees with all of that in terms of these promoted companies, but he also looks at the figures. He says something is not great when you look at the revenue, which has pulled back over the past few years, and the loss, which has been increasing. There's something not right there for him. He would not go near this one. I don't think that's uh, overstating it in any sense of the imagination. QB insurance for Cindy. Look, it's just risky. Think of client climate change and the risks implied by that in terms of Claude. It's an avoid. And again, I mean, Rudy says that there could be a short-term story here because margins in many brokers' views have bottomed out, but it is, again, still risky. Insurers are bad and uh, can be bad, and QB has not performed in the past. Okay, that is the halfway mark. Our guys have uh, had a sip of water. Rejuvenated for the sixth stock, which is Kit McGrath Education Centers, KME. This is sent to us by Leonard. So this tutors, it's, it's essentially a tutor for primary, secondary school kids. They had to pivot in COVID, as many did. Yeah. Now really talking up the online offering. Would you be invested in Kit McGrath Education? Problem number one, I, I believe it's, it's, a very, it's a small business. Uh, problem number two is that... Um, that sector, uh, has, it's, a, it's a bit of a difficult sector. We, we, I mean, the one ones that was popular not that long ago was uh, 3P Learning, um, and that really hasn't performed uh, to, to, uh, to potential either. I mean, I'm a shareholder in um, IDP Education, uh, which you could argue is related, but it's, it's much more online than it is in actual centers. And I think that's a, that's a much, much stronger proposition here. I'd be, I mean, you can see the, there's a reg regulatory context as well, of course. You can see the, the reopening trade happening here. And on that basis, um, the, the share price does look attractive. Um, but I, I, I still struggle with the size of the company and, and, and the sector itself. Again, if you, if you want to go for a related uh, business, I would go for IDP education any time of the day. Now, Claude, just a thought on McGrath, Kit McGrath Education Centers KME. Yeah, so yeah, I can. I, this is one that I own. Um, I do. I can see why Rudy prefers uh, IDP Education because it's a much more established, bigger business. 
Uh, this one's been a turnaround story that I've been following for years. If you Google it and my name, you can probably find various stages of my journey and thinking about this one. When I invested, it had no online, and it took years to develop it. Uh, and the this it was getting to the point where I mean, I was taking off the table with Kit McGrath because I thought that they would never really get the online tutoring getting going. And then the pandemic happened, and then suddenly they just had this absolutely incredible growth in their online lessons. And it was just the business was just so much more resilient than I ever believed it could be. I, it, kept, it kept its profitabilities and dividends. Yes, its gross profit sort of flattened out, but it actually managed to, to move a whole lot of this volume that they were doing in centres with people coming in for their tutoring to online. Which it's amazing, the... Claude, how surprised you sound considering you own the company. So the question then well, being, it's a dollar trading at a dollar thirty-nine today. Would you be adding to your position? Would you be buying? That's what Leonard wants to know. Should he buy in now? I, this is one of my top ones that I'm looking at trying to top up in a bit right now because I recently upped my valuation and sort of said, oh, okay, I'm going to, I'd be more willing to pay up for this. I've still got room to add a little bit more to it in my portfolio. Really, my target price is around a dollar, and that's where I really wanted to build a full position. But, um, you know, I wasn't quick enough to, to pick up on the fact that actually this business is so much more resilient than I thought. And I think the thing that I underestimated is how much of a priority education is for the people who are seeking these services. Yeah. So perhaps this is more of a need than a want than I'd, than I'd realized all those years ago uh, when it started as a turnaround story, as often these small cat plays do. Uh, so, yeah, for me, this is actually one of my favorite stocks right now. I could imagine myself paying the current price basically for a little nibble but i'm trying to just pick it up a little over i already have a position um so yeah it's a good it's a good one it's a good by the way okay. the founder's son now runs the show it's it's got a good story here like it pays dividends it's it's a decent one it seems to treat the shareholders fairly well overall okay kip mcgrath education bit of disagreement with the uh, the gents here kme is the ticker code sm1 is Sinlay Milk, as many people out there would know. Keith has asked about it. It came out with an update just this week, actually. A softer than expected FY21 guidance. Um, it's sparked some downgrades. Uh, but, you know, some brokers have said that, well, I'll talk to you about this one then, Rudy, because that the, the negatives have been one off and that it actually has some of the best manufacturing product, you know, for milk products, and it, that it's, uh, you know, got hard assets behind it, it. It does, and that's the typical motivation from the, your typical value investor always. The assets are worth more than the share price. Um, <clears throat> I'm not a big fan of investing on that on that premise, to be honest. I mean, I think, the, and it's just, I mean, I was asked about this years ago a couple of times, and the answer was the same. This is essentially a derivative of, of, of A2 milk. I mean, for people who don't know, uh, they basically produce the milk that A2 Milk then sells under their brand. And of course, they are, they are trying to diversify away from A2 Milk, but that's a, that's a big challenge for them. Mm -hmm. So essentially, we've seen A2 Milk struggling this year. Well, no surprise, guess who's struggling too, right? And that's just the logical... That's so not a very good looking chart well, on the one that, year that, that, or that, the five that's year. That's the consequence <laughs> when, you, when your main customer is struggling mm -hmm. and, and, and the share price of A2 Milk uh, would look similar. So, I mean, I'm always very simple. I, I always, I'm a very big fan of keeping it simple. Huh? If you wanna, if you wanna invest in that sector, go for A2 milk. Yeah. Don't go for the for the supplier. So it's an avoid for me. Uh, even in better times, yes, you can get a, a higher 
but they will still be they will still be in in, in the end where they have less marketing power, less yeah. risk price to power, anything, you go for A2 milk, yeah? you go for the recovery in A2 milk, not for Synlex. Uh, Claude, we'll keep it short on this one, but I have a feeling this is not the kind of company that you're dying to invest in. No, no, capital, capital intensive and, and, and dependent on factors outside of its control for its profits sounds like a bad combo to me. Um, I feel sorry for the value investors, like it's not really me and Rudy's style. Uh, but I have to say, I thought there was supposed to be a rotation into value stocks, but that, that chart, just is just straight down to sin late, so I guess it's missing out. Yeah, um, and yeah. keep in mind that milk prices are you know soaring as well in terms of the actual underlying commodity. Yeah. So make hay while the sun Look, shines. Sinlay milk is an avoid for you, Claude. I'm sorry, I am going to move us on from Sinlay. Get us to our next company, which is Corum C O O, coming to us from Jim. I had to, I had to Google this company, and I'm still not exactly sure what they do. Claude, do you know Corum? I do know that I've been following them for so many years. Um, I, I actually bought shares in these ones, like not like within the last year, 2020, I bought shares. Um, this is, oh, it's just so, it's such a good story, but I've got to do it quickly. So basically what they do is they do software that basically helps pharmacies do their um, provisioning and, and ordering of different supplies. What they recently did, which is what caused me to buy shares, is they bought an adjacent business called Farmex which actually it, it has the network integration between all the suppliers to pharmacies. And it's the system that actually has that sort of catalog that allows um, pharmacies, whatever software they use, whether it's Corum or someone else, whatever point of sale and, and management software they use, they can use Pharmex to order the stuff from all the distributors. So Pharmex is actually a nice little cash cow business. Um, it's a bit of a story how they managed to get their hands on it, but it sits nicely with Corum. It makes the, the company probably profitable, um, but we haven't seen a full year of that yet. And on top of that, it will make it easier, in my view, for, for Corum to grow its um, main pharmacy software business. However, the key thing to note here is this is yet another turnaround thesis. So basically, old management let market share in the main software product to pharmacies fall from about 40% to 20%. New management came in, they've done this, they've got a new development team, they've done this mm -hmm. deal with Pharmex and they've now got a better plan in my view, but everything will depend on whether that plan to develop better software and get that market share going up again, if that works or not. If Would it you... works, I think... Yeah, but sorry, today, is it a buy, hold or yeah, sell? Yeah, I literally bought it like at pretty much the same price okay. it is now, like last week or something. Like okay. I'm trying to temper my enthusiasm in this one, but keep in mind, <laughs> the reason I'm enthusiastic is because of asymmetric risk reward, not because it's a guaranteed winner. It's not. It just depends whether they can reinvigorate this product and get market share going up. If they can, then I think there's massive upside, but there's a big if there. So it's asymmetric, looks good to me, but still high risk. I don't want to speak for you, but I would guess that Claude knows his company better than you. Would you be buying, holding, or really? selling? You're going to put the money on that one. Um, too <laughs> risky, uh, too small, too risky. Uh, if you if you want technology, me just technology up for grabs on the share market with a lot less risk. Give me a. Uh, this is the bonus buy, folks out there who follow <laughs> along. Bonus buy in the tech space in Rudy's books. At this point in time, let me have a think. Um, I would nominate Resmed. Resmed. A definite safer option. Good right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Talking I feel about risk versus reward. Yeah. Now, Mark Mark Seven Technology M Seven T has been set in by Nick. It's in the I healthcare IT space. Let's summarize it like that. It's looking for new contract agreements. This is the name of the game with these companies. It's op also operating overseas. Just going by memory, Claude. What do you know about M Seven T? 
Well, so there's there's a few little radiology um, IT companies on the ASX that, that try to compare themselves to ProMedicus, and um, they are not as good as ProMedicus for so many reasons. It basically has to do with the quality of the software and the technology, and of and that flows onto the to the size of the contracts and the profitability of the contracts. However, Max Seven is interesting because of those other companies in this radiology IT space. It is actually probably the most interesting and most investable there was actually a small short period where i own shares in this myself in the end um i just think it's too expensive for me right now but this is actually investable to me so it's it's one that i watch it's ones i keep an eye and eye on i i think that it benefits from promedicus's success promedicus is very mm-hmm. expensive people sort of simplistically go oh this one's cheaper than promedicus so it must be cheap i don't think that's necessarily true but I do think at the right price, this one would be interesting. Um, they do have some decent-sized hospitals. Um, it's been a bit of an acquisition story. It's a yeah. bit of a. It's they've cobbled it together, so I don't think it's a perfectly high-quality uh, business here. But it is decent and worth watching. So I'm going to um, say not, it's on not the watch me list. For now. Yeah, on the watch yeah, list exactly. though, Rudy. I'm going to stick true to my colors. If you want to buy in that sector, buy Promedicus. Yeah. You don't go for second best. Yeah. Go for the win. Okay, and the final company on the list is one that's in the news today, Boral Group from Victor. Don't know if he wrote this in before today's news, but a $1.3 billion divestment of its stake in USG Boral, and it's also going to be buying back shares. So, Rudy, Boral, is it getting the house in order? Yes, but that's arguably priced in by now. Um, I mean, the Boral case, um, to go for the really value is probably... Uh, a few percent, uh, a lot of percentages last year at the bottom. So if it's um, not value, not, is not, it growth? Not, not here. Well, here you're taking on a lot more risk. Here's execution and all of that. And I would be more cautious here. Um, there's still a lot of stuff. In, I mean, perfect example in Australia of people who are completely underestimate uh, changes in society. And uh, I mean, this guy is bought into a business that's completely dependent on coal. Mm-hmm. And a year later, coal is out. I mean, Sorry, we paid a few billion dollars for it. Um, so, I mean, I mean, essentially, I think the, a lot of the uh, value upside is now priced in. So I would be more cautious here. How, Rudy, uh, sorry, Claude, uh, what do you think about Boral? Is it a father-in-law um, portfolio prospect? Uh, no, it, it, he has a bit higher standards than that. So <laughs> I, don't think, I don't think Boral will be in there anytime soon. But it could be a turnaround story, right? So like, as Rudy points out, um, you know, I think they've had this sort of high dependence on coal fly ash or whatever previously. So it's a bit ugly there. Look, if they've got a bit of a new approach and they're trying to clean things up and also, you know, it's cheap and maybe there's a lot of construction to come, then maybe there's still more in the turnaround to play out. So I'm definitely not poo-pooing the idea there, but it's just a game comes back to, it's not even, you know, even for the father-in-law, we still want to have high quality, high margin kind of businesses that are good quality businesses, Mm. just so that then you can put them there and, and, you know, not not tiny small caps, but like decent quality, strong ones like ResMed that, that Rudy mentioned, that is a father-in-law stock because you know that it's going to keep going in the right direction for a long period of time and it has done. Um, so that's that's more the quality I'm looking for. And, and Boral doesn't cut it. That doesn't mean it's too expensive now, but I just wouldn't be buying. All right. Boral is an avoid. And I feel like I owe your father-in-law an apology or something. <laughs> uh, my apologies. Uh, let me run through those last five companies that we were talking about. I'll start with the positive, And that was with Kit McGrath Education Centers, KME. 
Um, Claude owns it and he's looking to buy more. He'd love to do it at a dollar. However, even at this level, you could nibble away. He thinks that they've done well and they're getting their online story off the ground. Rudy says it's just too small. It could be a reopening trade, but uh, it's not really seeing any value in it. If you did want to look at another name in that space, look at IDP Education, not a one for one, but in that area. Sinlay Milk, um, keep it simple, stupid is what uh, what Rudy says pretty much. Uh, he's not a big fan of it. If you want to leverage the story, go to A2 Milk, which is essentially what a Sinlay is a proxy for anyways. Um, Claude says capital intensive, out of its hands, some of the market forces, it's a no for him. Corum. Claude is a shareholder in this spot in 2020. He thinks that it's a really good story. It's a turnaround business, but you've got to keep in mind asymmetric risk versus reward. It is a risky buy. Too risky for uh, from Rudy. He says too small as well. The bonus buy is ResMed. If you want an Australian tech leveraged story, go to Quality in ResMed. Mach 7 Technologies, it's on Claude's watch list. But in Rudy's view, it's a poor man's ProMedicus. Go with poor ProMedicus. Boral is the final company on the list. Rudy says that, look, the good news is priced in. The sale of these assets is priced in. Uh, the value proposition is probably out the door. It is still risky with execution risk. He would be very cautious around this one. And uh, touche, Claude says he's looking for better quality businesses for his father-in-law stock, and he's not buying it in a turnaround story or anything besides, so he's avoiding Boral. Uh, that is pretty much it. it. That is it for this hour. It's been a fun one. It's gone very quickly. Always thankful for your company, Claude Walker, at A Rich Life. Thanks a lot for having me. It was a really fun show. Good. Rudy Philippe van Dyke from FN Arena. Thank you. It's over already. I know. Look at that. And the Easter weekend is almost upon us. I hope uh, you guys have a great Easter weekend and everybody watching as well with your loved ones. Stay happy. Stay healthy. And uh, we will see you for the call on Tuesday at the same time. Stay with us, though. The Pulse is next.